Over the summer, we've been looking at some of the stories that Jesus told, and we're going to be continuing on that series this morning, and we're going to be looking at a story from the book of Luke. It's in chapter 18, and it's verses 9 to 14. So it is going to be coming up on the screen, but of course, feel free to follow on in your Bibles if you want to. And it's a really, really short parable that we're going to be looking at, but it is packed full of good stuff. So um, let's have a look at it, shall we? got Luke 18, verse 9 to 14. And it starts by saying, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Not like robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast, and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So we're going to spend some time this morning unpacking this. It's only five verses, right? But they are full of absolutely game-changing truth. And we'd be really remiss if we just kind of read it and then just thought, oh, that's nice and carried on. So we're going to have a look. What's going on? Well, first of all, it's really interesting to note the first line of this, because Jesus is clearly addressing a very specific set of people, which is a little unusual. Often he's addressing large crowds. But he tells us here, that Jesus was speaking to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Now, I wonder, (laughs) does anyone know someone like this? (laughs) Because I think, actually, a lot of us might be sitting here thinking, oh, this is one for, oh, I don't know, Hugo, George, whatever, hope he's listening. And I think, actually, a lot of us know people in our lives who... um, it can feel like that, who look down on someone. Maybe it's that person in your road who's you know, always making sure that everyone's hedges are trimmed just perfectly. Or maybe it's that maybe someone who sort of says, you know, oh, I've, I've donated enough money to build five orphanages in Nepal, and because of me, I'm so humbled, a hundred children are alive. And they keep talking about how humbled they are. There's a word for that that the kids use these days called a humble brag. And uh, apparently that's a thing these days. But you can usually spot someone like that because in general, they don't actually make you feel very good about yourself. And it's really interesting here because Jesus is very, very clearly addressing who that parable is for. People who look down on others, who thought that they were better than everything else than everyone else. And, and the thing with people like this often is that they don't usually realize that that's them. They don't usually think that that's them. So I'm going to go ahead and assume that no one in this church (laughs) is like that. But even so, even though that is who Jesus is addressing, there is still so much truth to be had. His words speak such lovely truth to each of us regardless. So let's have a look at what's happening in, in this story. So first of all, the story, it takes place at the Jewish temple. And this is a place where people would come, where they would offer sacrifices to atone for their sins. And it was like the real beating hub of the community. Everyone would be there. It was like the place that you would be seen. And Jesus tells us that there's a man here who is a Pharisee. Now, 
the Pharisees, they were a very, very influential group of people uh, within Judaism at the time of Jesus. And they were known for being extremely pious and for following all of the rules and all of the scriptures. And they were mainly kind of like like middle-class businessmen, like upstanding citizens. They were kind of who we would refer to as, as good people, but very, very judgy, very judgy. And so this was who society would have deemed to be a good man. And not only did he pride himself on keeping all the laws, but he went above and beyond them. So um, Jesus here tells us that he also fasted twice a week. Well, the law asked that people actually only had to fast once a year, which was on the Day of Atonement. So not only was he completely perfect, he was extra perfect. He's like, you know that annoying kid in class who just goes and asks for extra homework because they just love all their homework so much? He's kind of like, that was me though, unfortunately, sad to say, (laughs) but he's kind of like that really annoying kid who does that because they are just so perfect. But he wasn't, was he? Because he goes on to say this, he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I thank you that I am not like other people. Like, what a wally. (laughs) Who says that? And not only is he being a little bit of a prat thanking God that he's not like other people, but he actually goes further and he pinpoints out a specific person that is standing there. And that is cruel. Yeah, that's humiliating. That is being extra perfect at someone else's expense. And all of a sudden, Mr. Extra Perfect doesn't seem quite so perfect anymore, does he? Because, you see, he was so wrapped up in himself that even his prayer to God wasn't about God at all. It was about himself. So he was kind of praying to God, but really what he was doing was talking to everyone else around him. There were only uh, 33 words in this one tiny prayer of his, I counted. And of these 33 words, five of them are I. It's all about him. There's no actual thanks to God. It's just bragging about how great he is. Now, not all of the Pharisees of this day are like this. I just want to point out, because it's fair to say that whilst Jesus regularly refers to Pharisees, in this way, that actually um, there were some also who were pleasing in God's sight. So there's a guy called Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee and he eagerly sought Jesus and his teaching and wanted to know more about him. And he defended Jesus and he was actually on hand at the Lord's burial. And there were lots of the early Christians who were also Pharisees. But Jesus does refer to this group of people quite regularly when he's talking about stories Because what he's trying to point out is however scrupulous you are about obeying the law, it doesn't mean that you're living up to God's standard of holiness, which is based on love. Yeah, it's based on mercy and faithfulness and justice. And many of the Pharisees, they hated Jesus because what he did was he held up a mirror to them and it just shattered their their self-built illusion of how great they are. And so what happens next in the story is Jesus then switches to telling us about what the tax collector did. Now, tax collectors, they were people who collected, well, unsurprisingly, like the clue is in the name, right? They were people who collected taxes and tariffs from people, and they were absolutely hated in the Jewish uh, community, and they were notoriously dishonest. And there are a few reasons for the low view of tax collectors. Um, First of all, No one likes to pay money to the government, do they? I don't think anyone gets excited when we're told, like, yay, the council tax is going up £20 a month. Like, even if it means our potholes are going to be sorted, 
they're not. But if it means they are, no one gets excited about that, do they? But especially when the government of the day is like a really uh, oppressive regime, like the Roman Empire was in the first century. That meant that these guys, they were, they were collecting, tacti- sorry, collecting taxes for this regime. And if that's not enough to make them unpopular, they were also robbing people at the same time. So they were taking more than what was their fair share. So it's like one for the government, one for me, one for the government. But the main reason that they were so hated is because the tax collectors were actually Jews themselves. So rather than fighting against the Romans who were coming in and, and defending their own people, they were helping the oppressors and they were doing so at the expense of their fellow Jews. So they were real outsiders in the community. And so in this parable that Jesus is giving, you've got really stark contrast here. The tax collector who knows that his life is absolutely full of sin. And he doesn't even come close. Right? Jesus says here that he stood at a distance. He kept his eyes low. He wouldn't even lift his eyes up. He wouldn't lift his hands up. He just poured out his soul as he says to God, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, he, he knew he wasn't worthy before God. And he knew that what he needed, the only thing that he needed, was God's mercy. He needed God's grace. And so Jesus, he's presenting us here with two very different, very stark contrast ways to approach God. You've got one, a person who's tried to live a very perfect life, been perfect all their lives, but in doing so, don't even recognize that they need God anymore. They're they're self-sufficient. They have got what they need. They are happy in their own wonderfulness. And then you've got the other person here, someone who has spent their lives just living in sin, but who comes humbly recognizing that what they need, the only thing they need, is God's mercy. And then Jesus gives his judgment, and he says to them, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So the tax collector, the, the sinner, the one who was despised by his own community, but who comes humbly before God, he was the one who went home justified. Now, I'm aware that the word justification or justified is kind of, it's one of those words I think we use a lot in church, but we don't necessarily always know what it means. I know I didn't for a long time, but I used to sit there just pretending that I did. I don't know, does anyone else ever do that? Just, no, just me? Cool. <laughs> All right. Um, so we're just going to take a quick look at what justification actually means. So what it means is that in the sight of God, this man, he was no longer a sinner, but he has now been made right with God. Okay? In Romans 3, verse 22, the Bible tells us that this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified, i.e. no longer guilty, before God freely by his grace, through the redemption that came in Jesus Christ. So he has now been made right with God. So the first thing to note here about justification is that it is a free gift that is given through faith and it is available to all. So justification, it is a gift, right? It cannot be earned. It just cannot be earned. 
not through rule-keeping or through our own good works. It is totally outside of the law, totally outside of doing good. The only way, the only way that justification is made possible is because Jesus paid the price for us when he died on the cross for us. That's the only way. And so justification, it's a declaration that God makes about the sinner. It's not about what the sinner is doing in their lives or how they've changed their lives. It's what God says about the person. It declares that they are not guilty before God, regardless of any action that they have ever done or will do. And the other thing about it is that if God declares that you are justified, then you are no longer guilty in his eyes and you are fully restored to his favour. It fully restores you to God's favour. It's amazing. Like, it's more than just acquittal. It's more than just not guilty, although it is also that. It is a full, full acceptance. The Bible tells us that because of our justification, we are now friends of God. Yeah, in James 2, verse 23, it tells us, Abraham believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. That's amazing. And even more incredible, in Romans 8, verse 7, it tells us that because of this full acceptance, we are heirs of God and now co-heirs with Christ. I mean, that is incredible, isn't it? And so Jesus tells us in this passage that the tax collector who came humbly before God, just acknowledging that what he needed was God's mercy, he was justified. And the man who kept all the laws... The man who strove all his life to be absolutely perfect, whose big loud prayers of how great he was, it didn't make God sit back and go, oh, oh yeah, no, fair point. Actually, you are, you are amazing. Thank you for reminding me I'd forgotten that. Now, Jesus, like, he wasn't impressed by this at all. Despite of all of his good works, he was not in God's favor. Now, so I'm just going to take a quick drink of water, sorry. So a bit of a scratchy throat this morning. Now, it is good to do good, okay? Don't get me wrong. It is good to sacrificially give your time to doing good things. It is good to tie the portion of all that you have and give it back to God, right? It is good to open your home to people, to spend time studying the scriptures. All of these things are good, and you should do all these things, right? It's not saying not to do them at all. But when you start to think that they make you better than other people well they become worthless and much worse than that when they start to make you think that actually you don't even need God anymore because you are such a good person doing such amazing things and you're heading for real danger and the amount of people I talk to in life who think that they don't need God because they are a good person or who think that they're a Christian because they are a good person and do all the things they think they should do it's staggering Because the truth is, all of us are sinners. All of us. Whether we acknowledge it or not, even if you keep every single law in the land that there is. We we had an an interesting bedtime conversation with our eight-year-old daughter a couple of weeks ago. She wanted to know if we'd ever broken any laws. (laughs) And uh, and my husband was there putting her to bed. And he had a... Dave's had, like, a fairly colourful youth back when he was younger. And so I could see him kind of artfully trying to, like dodged this eight-year-old child and he ended up being kind of um 
can't find a middle ground. And he said, well, darling, I've never purposefully hurt anybody, which I thought was a really good way of getting around it. Because the truth is, you don't actually want to think about how many laws you've broken, right? Let alone share them with your delighted eight-year-old child. And, you know, I don't even know if it is possible to live a life without breaking any laws. I don't know if it is. I bet you've broken loads of laws without even knowing about it, right? There are some really weird ones out there. You might not have murdered someone, or maybe maybe you have, I don't know, but you might not have. But did you also know that it is illegal to fly a kite in public? Isn't that mad? Illegal to do that. It's also illegal to take a walk on a pavement holding a plank of wood or a ladder. So if you think that you are a really good person, law-abiding citizen, but you've done either of those things, then you need to get off your high horse. (laughs) And my favourite one that I found was, according to the Library Offence Act 2005, it is illegal to be annoying in a library, which means that both of my children are like prolific criminals already. (laughs) But even if you could, right, even if you'd never gone 35 miles in a 30 zone or anything, even if you followed every single decree in the Bible, every law that was ever laid down by government, there is nothing you could ever do, ever that would make you earn your holiness or your rightness before God. Nothing. And I think that can sound like a little bit scary until you realise that actually God's grace, God's grace is given so freely to anyone who asks for it, for anyone who accepts that actually, yeah, they need God. They need God's mercy. And, you know, God loves to lavish his grace on people. It is his delight to do it. In Ephesians... Uh, in Ephesians 1, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. That he lavished on us. We live in a world where we are expected to, um, to pay for or earn or deserve anything that we get, right? Even gifts are given usually on the basis of some kind of like pre-existing relationship or that we've done something to deserve them. And if something uh, like appears free in this life, then generally we kind of think it's a little bit good to be too good to be true or a scam or something like this. But this gift, this grace that Jesus offers, it has no such limitations, no preconditions on it whatsoever. It is so rich, it is so limitless that God describes it in this verse as the riches of his grace lavished upon us. I love that word, lavish. It's so decadent, isn't it? It's so outside of like normal everyday to dayness. It is super abundant, this grace that Jesus talks of. It is way above what could be expected and even more than what we would ever need. This isn't the only place in the Bible where Jesus' grace is talked about this way. In Ephesians later on, it talks about the incomparable riches of his grace. This is the truth. This is the grace of God. And it cannot be compared to anything that you can conjure up in your mind, right? It is so rich and so abundant and so lavish. And it's like you need this much grace in your life. I mean, you need a lot more than that, but this much. And, uh, And this how much God has lavished upon you. It never breaks, okay? And it never runs out. It is inexhaustible. And it never even demands anything in return. Now, Jesus, he tells us in this story that the tax collector stood at a distance and with his eyes down because of how much he felt his shame. But this man's story, it doesn't 
end there, okay? Because he stood at a distance and he knew he was unworthy and he felt it in his inmost core. But the moment he became justified by God, he became worthy because God said he was, which means he no longer has to stand at a distance. He no longer has to stand with his eyes down. He is now a favored son of God and God delights in him. Yeah, he is welcome into God's presence because God has restored him and he can lift his eyes up to heaven knowing that he will not be rejected. And that's really, really worth remembering. And, you know, you might be sitting there thinking, what does she know? She, she thinks doing 35 miles per hour in a 30 is talking about criminality. She knows nothing of what I've done. And you're right, I know nothing of what you have done. I know nothing about what you are doing today. But... God does. And more than that, God knows the fears that accuse us and condemn us, the fears that tell us that we aren't good enough, that maybe actually we're the exception to that rule, that we've gone too far, that our sins are too big or too many or beyond forgiveness. Or the fears, and sometimes I think this is worse, the fears that that tell us that we think we know we were forgiven when we came to Christ, and that was amazing, but now that we keep doing it, well, we are such a disappointment. But my friends, <laughs> the truth is written here in the Bible. Okay, When Paul was struggling with a temptation that he just couldn't overcome himself, and he pleads for God to take it away, God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And God tells us, do not be afraid, for I have redeemed you. I have forgiven and restored you. I have called you by name. You are mine. He says, don't be afraid. My grace is bigger. It is way bigger. He says, don't be afraid. My grace will never run out. It is sufficient to cover everything that you ever, ever need. You see, there is nothing that you can ever do or have ever done which is a surprise to God, okay? It's not. He's already seen it. Before we have even done it, he has nailed it to the cross of his son. Praise God. How amazing is that? It's already taken care of. All you need to do is come before him and acknowledge that you need his mercy and ask for it like the tax collector did. And it is his delight to lavish it upon you. <coughs> Excuse me. And in a moment, we're going to be taking communion together. And actually, can the band come up? That would be great. And as we take the bread, we're going to be remembering that Jesus' body was broken for us. And as we take the juice, we're remembering that his blood, it was... It was shed for us. And as you do so, know that Jesus, through his, through his death, totally and utterly and forever paid our debts as a free and completely lavish gift. But before we, we do communion, I'm going to pray for us. Can I just ask, should we stand? I'm just going to pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this amazing story that you've shared with us. And Lord, we thank you that there is nothing that we can do to earn your love and acceptance because we couldn't, no matter how hard we tried. And we thank you that your love is so massive. 
and that your grace covers us for everything that we need and more. And God, we thank you that the story of the tax collector and Pharisee doesn't end with a tax collector still standing in the dust, but ends with him justified before you, accepted and forgiven, and the slate wiped clean. And I pray that across this room right now, Lord, people would know your incredible love for them, that they would know how far your grace extends to them, Lord. And you know, if this is... Part of of what I've said this morning is hurting your heart a little and feeling a little bit too close to home. If you feel that maybe actually you have let God down and are too far outside of his grace or maybe you you feel like you don't deserve his love, I want to pray for you. And I'm not going to ask you to come forward or anything, but why don't you just hold out your hands where you are? No one's looking. Lord, I pray... Lord, I pray that right now across this room, your Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of us who struggles with any lies that they are not good enough for you. Oh, Spirit, would you come and minister to their hearts? Lord, I pray that every woman and man here would know that your grace is sufficient for them, no matter what they've done. Lord, would they know that they can put your trust, their trust in you? And you'll do the rest for them because the truth that the Bible tells us is that you delight in them, Lord. And I pray, would you come now and speak to their hearts and may they be able to lay themselves down and and fully put their trust in you, Lord. And if you've been... If you've been listening to this this morning and knowing that you're someone who's sort of constantly trying to earn God's favour by continuously doing good or trying to be perfect, I want to pray for you too because not only is that not going to get you anywhere, it's exhausting. And so, Lord, we thank you. We're so grateful that we don't have to work hard to earn your favour. We thank you that while it is good to do good, there is nothing that we can do to earn your love. And so I I do pray for those of us in this room who've been working so hard to earn your love and your favour that you would give them peace in their hearts. Lord God, would they turn to you? Would you release them from that, Lord, that they would be humbled before you this morning? Yes, Lord, we come now. And we confess our sins and we say we're really sorry for all those times that we've put ourselves in the place of you, Lord God. And we know that what we need is you, Father. And so we ask for your mercy, Lord, and we ask for your grace. Lord, would you open the eyes of our hearts to see what you need us to see, that we can have life in full with you. God, we love you and we're so grateful for your mercy. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be taking communion together. We've got three stations around here, here and here. And then the one at the back over yonder is a gluten-free option. And as you uh, take some bread and some juice and come back to your seats, why don't you just take a minute to pause and, and thank God for this incredible gift. And if you need to do business in your heart with God, then now's a really good time to do that. And if you do want someone to pray with you, then there's loads of us up here who would absolutely love to do that. But for now, let's carry on worshipping, come and take communion and spend a minute just talking with God in your life. Remember, it's his delight to lavish his grace upon you. Whatever you've already done, Jesus has dealt with it on the cross. Amen.